Is this good? Can, can everybody hear? Is that better? Yeah. Okay. Um, let's pray. Father, I pray that my words might be used by you, that your word will be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the season of epiphany now, uh, God revealing himself. But my story starts back in Christmas, so it's kind of doing two seasons at once because I wanted to look at Joseph. Um, I, you know I love Christmas, and so I have spent over two years of my life spending uh, studying Luke 1 and 2, which focuses really on Mary a lot. But Joseph is there in ev almost every episode, kind of in the shadows as a supporting figure. Now, if we look in Matthew, we have much more about this remarkable man and the crucial, critical nature of Joseph's supporting role. So I want to nominate Joseph as the best supporting actor in the store in his for his role of father of the young Jesus. I want to look at how Joseph's dream of pleasing God as a faithful Jew waiting for the Messiah was both challenged and fulfilled beyond his wildest expectations. My hope is that Joseph will inspire us as to take joy in supporting roles that we are called to too. Okay, um, when the angel Gabriel addresses Mary in Luke 1, the first thing we learn about her is that she's betrothed to a man named Joseph of the house of David. You notice in the, the story, it says, God said, I will make you a house, David. A house, the word in Hebrew for family, is bet av, the house of the father. So a house is, it can also be a dynasty. We do that in English too. Then when the angel appears to Joseph in Matthew 1, 20, the angel addresses him as Joseph, son of David. Kalem read to us, I, I guess several weeks ago, a fascinating passage out of a book about Bible translators working with the tribe far away who got very excited to hear the genealogy of Jesus that we skipped over in Matthew, I'm sorry. They got super excited about this. And this is the genealogy that goes through David. But wait a minute, am I missing something? Are we talking about the genealogy of Jesus or the genealogy of Joseph? Why insist on the genealogy of Joseph? Both Matthew and Luke insist that the conception of Jesus was by the Holy Spirit, not by a man. So why are we tracing his genealogy through Joseph? 
who was not his biological father. This is some insight from Ian Henderson. In a patriarchal society, patriarch means the rule of the father, the word for family is house of the father. When a child was born, there was no real scientific way to know who the father was, but the father of the family would recognize and name the child, and that child would enter the family legally. In a sense, every child, biologically related or not, entered the family through this legal adoption. Legal adoption for non-biological children was equally binding. Therefore, we have an example of Julius Caesar adopted Octavian, whom everyone knew was not his biological son, but he was deemed the rightful heir, and he was even called son of God. When Joseph names Jesus and adopts him as his son, in Jewish thinking, Jesus was of the house of David. But I'm wondering too, if there wasn't also a way in which claiming a genealogy also meant knowing the stories of one's ancestors and learning from their path. Keeping the covenant made to them, we must learn from the good and bad of our ancestors. And the Bible doesn't hide the bad, by the way. Moreover, through faith, even we Gentiles can enter the covenant and be called children of Abraham. When we put our faith in Jesus, he adopts us into his family. Now, in the first century, Jewish boys and girls dreamed of the coming of the Messiah, of one day seeing God's special chosen deliverer. But if you could trace your genealogy directly to King David, you might dream of being the Messiah or of his coming from your own family. And the first thing that both Matthew and Luke tell us about Joseph is that he is a son of David. Joseph grew up with this dream of receiving the Messiah. His family had carefully kept their genealogy going back 1,000 years. Remember the promise to David that one of his sons would be on the throne forever. And yet there'd been much disobedience in David's line with the resulting exile and no king from their family on the throne for several hundred years. Unlike his unfaithful ancestors, Joseph is characterized as faithful, obedient, and righteous. We see in Luke that he scrupulously follows the Torah, the Jewish law. He offers the sacrifices of the poor when Jesus is born. Matthew tells us, Matthew tells us he's a carpenter and a righteous man. But being of royal blood, like Joseph, would not be a thing you would flaunt in the first century. 
you would not seek to draw attention to your royal heritage. In fact, on the contrary, I think it would be wise to keep a low profile. King Herod, or Herod the Great, because of impressive building projects, was handsome, at least in his younger years, and brave, charming, brilliant, and brutal and increasingly more so as he aged. He was supposedly the king of the Jews, but he was resented by many. He had been placed on the throne by the Roman emperor and was a complex character, religiously Jewish, racially Arab, culturally Greek, and politically Roman. We know he didn't take kindly to anyone who might challenge his reign, Actually, he eventually became so paranoid that he murdered two of his wives, even his favorite, and he murdered three of his own sons. The heart-wrenching story of the massacre of the innocent children in Matthew 2 reminds us that Jesus was born into a very nasty context. It was dangerous to be royal. When we meet Joseph for the first time, he's pious and faithful. His life is on track. He's not rich, but he's not desperately poor either. He has a trade, and now he is betrothed to a godly young woman. According to Jewish plan, looking forward to founding a family. We don't really have the equivalent of betrothal today, sort of like being engaged, but stronger. There was no way out except marriage, completing the marriage, because they, they were already called husband and wife, or divorce, and that was not a fun thing. Then suddenly, so this is Joseph's situation, then suddenly, Everything is thrown up in the air. A punch in the gut. He learns that Mary is pregnant and it's not his child. The shame. The insult to his manhood. The sense of betrayal, of hurt, of anger. All these feelings could have been churning in Joseph as he went to bed that night. Nothing, but probably worst was the sense of confusion. Nothing fit with what he thought he knew of Mary. In Matthew 1.19 we read, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. The Bible tells us very little. We, but what we don't witness is drama, scream, slamming doors. On the contrary, we see a man who is considering, trying to feel his way through his pain to find how to make the best of a bad situation. He's thinking about 
divorcing quietly. In spite of his own pain, instead of retaliation, we observe his concern for Mary in this vulnerable state. How do we respond when someone throws someone or something throws a wrench into our plans? How do we respond when our plan A, our good plan A, is whipped out from under us or maybe crumbles from under us? What we see of Joseph is that he doesn't fly off the handle, make a snap decision. He stops, he reflects before acting. He asks, now that my dream has been dashed, what is my role in plan B? How do I make the best of this mess? Maybe you've been there in that place too. I remember having spent all my energy to save my marriage and still finding myself in divorce proceedings, asking God, what does a godly divorcee look like? Then in his darkest night, God answers Joseph. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Joseph, not Joseph, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And the, what the angel tells him changes everything. God's plan B is even more wonderful than Joseph's plan A. He will make Mary his wife after all. She is everything he thought she was and more. The child she is carrying is miraculous. He is the Messiah, the anointed one they've all been waiting for. He, Joseph, will name the child will recognize him as, as the legitimate son of his bet of his family. He, Joseph, will be the Abba, the Papa, the father who will raise the Messiah in his own home. The intense shame of yesterday has been transformed into the incomprehensible honor of today. When Jesus woke up, when Joseph woke up, I'm getting these mixed up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus, Yeshua, the Deliverer. 
question number two, how do we respond to clear direction? In confusion, Joseph doesn't act rashly, but when the message is clear, he acts decisively and immediately. This will be his way of functioning for the commands he receives in the next three dreams. I kept thinking all week about, um, I want to say Jacob, Jacob, it's not Jacob, Jacques' message last week where he was linking obedience and love, love and obedience. And I think Joseph answers, responds so immediately because the love is already there. Joseph will bring Mary with him to Bethlehem for the census. The child will be born in Bethlehem, the city of David, according to the prophecies. But there will be bumps on the road. Joseph may be tempted to feel like a second-rate provider when he can't find proper lodging the night Mary gives birth. But then they have visitors, shepherds, excitingly telling them that they, <clears throat> about the angels announcing the Messiah, reminding Joseph that he's right there in the heart of God's plan. It appears that Joseph eventually does find a house in Bethlehem because when the wise men arrive, probably months later, maybe a year later, they and or maybe two years later, they entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshiped him. Then we read of Herod, Herod's cruel jealousy to murder innocent children to and under. It reminds us of Pharaoh's edict a millennia and a half earlier that had Hebrew boys thrown into the Nile, baby boys. Moses is saved while so many others are killed. He will grow up to deliver his people from slavery. Young Jesus will also be spared Herod's wrath now while other innocents die. But he too will grow up to save all the people by surrendering to an even more cruel death. We don't know if Joseph was present when the wise men came because he is not mentioned. But of course, he would have seen the gifts and they will come in handy when he gets his next dream, probably that very night. The angel returns in a second dream. Get up. Flee to Egypt with the, the child and his mother, the angel said. Stay there until I tell you to return, because Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. That night, Joseph left for Egypt with the child and Mary, his mother, and they stayed there until Herod's death. I like this picture. True to form, when Joseph gets instructions, he obeys immediately, wakes Mary, packs hastily. I can, I can imagine the child kind of slumped over his shoulder as they leave in the night. 
like so many other refugees fleeing conflict. They will stay in Egypt until Herod dies and the angel gives instructions to return to Israel. A final dream will direct Joseph to take his family back to Galilee and settle in Nazareth. Joseph's greatness is not in his royal blood, but in his heart of a servant, his faithful, loving obedience. He delights in becoming the servant of the project God has given to Mary to give legal status to her son and guide the little family through a series of challenges to be the Papa for Jesus. His life will be about providing for and protecting them, never seeking attention for himself. God calls all of us men and women to be servants of one another for his kingdom. None of us in the church have the starring role. All of us are supporting actors for the work of Jesus. As we play our role, he is glorified. Jesus, our Lord, is the ultimate servant. We all have dreams for our life that life seems to <laughs> conspire to frustrate. Let us not despair, but rejoice like Joseph to find that supporting role, seek humility and find honor in the plan God proposes for us. Let us rejoice that God has adopted us into his royal family, and that being a supporting actor in his plan B is far greater than being a star in our own plan A. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.